How we doing tonight, Salt Company? Look great out there. I can see about 10 of you. It sounds like there's a lot more. Welcome to Salt Company. Man, nothing better than the kickoff every year. We're so happy. Whose first Salt Company is this? It's the first time here? How many, oh, there we go. How many freshmen are there? Man. Guys, Salt Company was such a huge blessing in my life, still is to this day, being able to bring the word with you guys and do life with you guys, follow Jesus with you guys. Just want to say, if it is your first time, I, hope, I really hope this is a great experience. Being in Salt for as long as I have, I've had plenty of great experiences. And naturally, plenty of weird experiences. Plenty of awkward nights to mix in with the great ones. One night sticks out in particular, I remember, as all good stories start with, I sat by a girl at Salt Company that I really, really liked, okay? Bold move, I know, bold move. But I remember being so uh, stoked about this girl that I was gonna sit by her at Salt no matter what anybody said. And that night, out of all the nights of Salt Company, for some reason, the guy preaching, the director on stage, literally went after me. And he tried to destroy me, and I don't to this day know why. But he was talking about something, I'm going to be honest, I don't remember. I wasn't focused on him that night, obviously. And he looked right at me and goes, okay, take Ryan, for example. And he pointed right at me and says, if we could put his thoughts on the screen behind us tonight, you guys would be blown away. And everybody laughed at me. Everybody laughed as if I wasn't deathly missed. The girl obviously just scooted away. Like I was created to be this villain or something. I was completely exposed. And honestly, as I look back at it, it was a great joke. But I'm not gonna do that to anybody here tonight. I promise I'm not gonna call anybody out tonight. But let me ask you this. If your thoughts or let's just say your life in general was kind of flashed up on the screen behind us tonight, what would that be like for you? What if your entire life, every moment, every thought, every motive behind what you did, plain and exposed for all to see, what if it was right up behind me tonight and everybody could see it? That's scary, right? Like that would be pretty bad. It'd be pretty embarrassing, pretty shameful. What would happen? Like the, all the people that you've worked so hard to make friends with over the last two weeks, all the people who might think so highly of you, what if they saw the secret side of you? What if they saw everything? Well, we're taught to not associate with bad company, right? And so as your secrets spill out, people would run away from you. We wouldn't want to associate with you anymore. And the same goes for me if my life was thrown on there. That is a scary thought. Especially in a season like college, could there be any nightmare worse than being fully seen and fully known. But you know what's both totally true and maybe even a bit more scary tonight, guys? Is that there's a God who actually does see everything. Like there's a God who sees you. Everything you've ever done, every word you said, every motive that drives you, he sees you, he really does. And it's not wrong if that kind of shakes you up for a second. And before you kind of roll your eyes and say, oh my gosh, another church guilt trip, I wanna ask you something. If your life was put on the screen and every secret spilled out, 
I don't want to ask what would other people say or what would other people think about you. I want to ask what would God think about you? What would he say if your life played like a movie on that screen? We know what we would do to one another. We'd run away from each other. But is that how God would treat us? Is that what God would do to you? Well, can we actually know? Or is this all speculation? No, we absolutely can know. And that's what we're going to find out tonight. Okay? Friends, if you leave here tonight, you have to hear this. That if you want to know what God thinks about you, just look at the cross. That's the big idea of tonight. That if you want to know what God thinks about you, just look at the cross. Right? The cross. You don't have to be very churched or religious to know about the cross. Everybody knows about the cross. Everybody here's got a tattoo about the cross or a necklace right now about the cross. I'm not throwing any shame on anybody here in the front row that I can see. <laughs> no shame. We know a guy named Jesus died on the cross. But tonight I want to zoom in on the cross that we think we know so well because it's there at the cross that we see more clear than anywhere God's heart for you. And to do this tonight, I want to simply zoom in on one verse. It's 1 Corinthians 1.18. It's going to be on the screen behind me, and it says this. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but is the power of God who are, to us who are being saved. I'm going to read it again. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is the power of God to us who are being saved. Okay, don't let this confuse you. What Paul is trying to get across here to this church in Corinth is very, very simple. And it's this, that there is no such thing as a casual cross. Even in a culture like ours where it's just another religious symbol, it's just a shape to us. Like we walk past a cross and don't think anything. He's saying there's no such thing as a casual cross. Only one of two things can be true of the cross. That it as a religious symbol is either the dumbest, most idiotic thing in history, or you can accept that the cross is out of this world wisdom and power that has the power to change your life forever. He's saying that the cross of Jesus is like a fork in the road that confronts all of us. So let's dive in. What does he mean when he says the cross is foolishness? It almost sounds like blasphemy, right? The cross is foolishness. I doubt when you look at the person next to you, with the cross now, because I doubt you're going to just look at them and call them a fool. Okay, that'd be weird. Bad way to make friends. But if this were the first century, you probably would say that. The cross was a Roman torture device. It was a super gruesome, cruel way to not only kill criminals, but to humiliate them. To publicly humiliate them naked, beat into a pulp, and hung up in public, exposed for everybody to see. Bad way to go for a criminal, yeah, but what about a religious leader? Right? Like, how about this for a plan, a game plan, a strategy? If you're trying to create a religious movement that's going to carry on for thousands and thousands of years, this is what you got to do. You got to live a perfect life. You got to be accused and sentenced of things that you did not do. You got to be abandoned by those who you love. You got to be mocked by those you're trying to help. You got to be tortured and you have to die. That was the story of Jesus. That was his path to the cross. And this is what it means that the cross is foolishness. The humans would not have come up with this. 
This is not the devising of some humans. That is a really weird strategy. Later in the letter, actually, in this chapter of 1 Corinthians, Paul goes on to say that the Jews, they want to see more signs. And the Gentiles, they want wisdom. And the cross, in one very true sense, gives them neither. Right? The cross presents a religious leader who was killed before he ever hit the peak of his own ministry. Like, oh, where is that powerful Messiah? Those promise to liberate us, to free us from our oppressors. Oh yeah, he's on that Roman cross, dying. This is foolishness. The cross presents to us a teacher who won't debate his way out of his guilty sentence. Where is the logic in a man who claims to be God but can't even save himself? Oh, yeah. He's on the cross, squeezing out these words. Forgive them. That's foolishness. To the human eye, there is no power, there's no wisdom here. The cross, as one commentator said it, he replaced foolishness with silliness. I love that. Spot on. The cross is nothing but silliness. The first thing you need to recognize about the cross is this, that when you look at the cross, you can see foolishness. Okay, back to feeling exposed, right? Okay. The most exposed, probably, I remember feeling the past couple years was when I, for some reason, decided to play slow pitch softball. Okay, I never played baseball growing up. I thought, I'm a decent enough athlete, this should be fine, whatever. They put me in right field. That's a bad start to know that the team doesn't think you're very good in slow pitch softball. They put me in right field, the first fly ball comes up, and I learned very, very quickly, I have no idea how a softball travels through the air, and it hit the ground, and I looked like a donkey, and everybody laughed. (laughs) Seems to be a theme in the stories tonight. And so I was like, okay, let's get better at this. I got a little better. I tried my hardest. And I'm telling you, my prayer life took off. I would be praying to the Lord that no left-handed hitter would come up to the box. Like, seriously, lefties just always found me. And I said, no, Lord, please. And I felt like my prayer life was taken off even as my dignity was crashing into the dirt. But it got worse. Because as the season went on, it wasn't just lefties who were up there swinging towards me. Ooh, the righties got up there. And they started shuffling their feet like this and aiming at me because they knew I was the donkey that they wanted to hit it to. I had literally no dignity left after that softball season. So what do I do about it? What do I do? If I feel exposed, what do I do? I quit. Duh, it's easy. It's easy. I just quit. I just told him, yeah, I'm not playing again, guys. I just, you know, I'm really busy. I was actually really embarrassed. My answer to saving face was so simple. Quit softball. What happens to us when we're in that situation? Like what happens to us? What do we do when we feel exposed? Especially at kind of churchy stuff like this. This could be a very intimidating place to be, I know. What do we do when everybody seems to just have it down? Like everybody is doing great. Everyone seems to have it all together, especially when it comes to their faith and this Jesus stuff. But we know that's not us, right? We don't feel that or see that when we look in the mirror. We just don't wanna be rejected. And so what do we do? We put on a smile. We raise our hands in worship. Maybe we kind of clean up our mouth a little bit, at least while we're here. But in the end, we go home the same hurting, broken, lonely person that nobody sees. 
But isn't it intriguing, guys? Isn't it so interesting that we are people who go to such great lengths to hide ourselves, to insulate ourselves from being exposed and rejected? And yet here we have the Son of God himself willingly exposed in the most visceral, brutal way possible on a cross. This looks like foolishness, but there is more that we have to see about the cross tonight. There is more. You have to see what Jesus' really, really bold friend, his disciple Peter saw. You guys maybe have heard of Peter. He was a, he was a big figure in the New Testament and the early church. And at one point, Matthew 16 and Mark 8, Jesus tells his friends kind of a foreshadow. He's like, guys, I know stuff's going really great, but I'm going to go to the cross. Like, I'm going to be delivered up. I'm going to be killed. And everybody's like, no. Everybody says, absolutely not, Jesus. You are supposed to be our king. You are supposed to be the Messiah. Death does not fit into this equation for us at all. And so Peter, being the bold one, steps up to the plate and decides to correct the God of the universe. He says, Jesus, no you will not go to the cross. And Jesus replies to him with no shortage of words, get behind me, Satan. Jesus seemed very, very intent on going to the cross. We who claim to be Christians who like, have maybe been following Jesus for a while, like we know what Peter must have felt like, right? Like we want to follow Jesus. A lot of people in this crowd have said that with their life, but don't we wanna do it on our own terms? Like if he shows us something or might lead us to some suffering or inconvenience or a loss of something temporal in the world, we say, no, Jesus, we follow you on our terms. It's safe to say that even Jesus' closest followers saw the cross as a foolish idea. But something must have changed. Something changed. How does Peter go from this guy who's boldly correcting Jesus? to preach and to celebrate the crucifixion in the letters that he wrote later in the New Testament? How does Peter go from someone who is protesting the idea of the cross to someone who is sold out for Jesus so much that he himself is crucified at the end of his life? Something changed. Something happened that turned this foolishness into power. The second thing you need to recognize about the cross is this. That when you look at the cross, you can see power. When you look at the cross, you can see power. And I know this is gonna make a lot of you roll your eyes, but it would not be a Salt Company sermon without a Lord of the Rings illustration. And I'm on YouTube today wiping my eyes of tears, watching the end of the two towers. And let me tell you why. Because it was beautiful, first off. I don't actually need to tell you why. Watch it for yourself. But what happened is the odds are against them. The good guys, okay? The main characters, they are outnumbered like crazy. Thousands of orcs, tens of thousands of orcs and orcai are about to beat down their doors and wipe them out and every single hope seems lost. Logically, nothing worked. The momentum, the numbers, everything was inside of the bad guys. But then Aragorn, he remembers something that his friend Gandalf said. He said, look to my coming at the first light on the fifth day at dawn, look to the east. And he says, oh my goodness. He looks up to the east and here comes the waterworks because there is a light breaking over the hill and the hero rolls up on his white horse with an army behind him and wipes out the entire army of Sauron. Gets me pumped just saying that. 
there was a moment where logic was not enough. They needed power. They could not think their way out of this conundrum. They needed a hero to show up in power. That's the type of moment that Peter ended up having. That's the type of moment that every single person in this crowd actually needs to have. That when logic can't solve our death problem, what are we gonna do? That when logic can't solve the sin that binds so close, what are we gonna do? We need power. And when doubt, confusion, and hopelessness seem like they will never end, Jesus arrives. And the foolish, crucified Jesus walks out of his grave, resurrected and victorious, never to die again, defeating death forever. The cross wasn't the end. God was no fool. He was on a rescue mission. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it's the power of God to those of us who are being saved. When we only see Jesus in his death, Salt Company, we might be only left with half the picture, but when we know he walked out of his tomb, everything becomes crystal clear. Everything. What once may have seemed silly is now proven to be the very wisdom of God. What once seemed like weakness is now the strength of God on full display. And to a people that carry with them their sin, shame, and brokenness, this is good news. This is good news that Jesus' victory now makes the cross the answer to our death problem. That Jesus' victory makes the cross the very tool that can break the curse of sin. And what was once foolish and silly to the logic and philosophy of men who thought they were too smart for God, now bow in humility at the feet of their risen King Jesus. And that is good news. When you look at the cross sealed by an empty tomb, you see power. Then my question is why? Why? This is what Jesus did, yes. But we should be asking why he did it. I asked earlier, what does God think about you? Like if he can actually see every secret and sin and shame that you have deep down inside, what would he think about you? What would the holy and righteous judge do? He'd only be holy and right if he punishes sin and evil. So what about yours and what about mine? How does he respond when your life is on the screen? Friends, I'm telling you to just look at the cross. The last thing you need to recognize about the cross tonight is this, that when you look at the cross, you have to see that you are loved. You have to see that you are loved. And if you leave here tonight with any rock in your shoe, or any stirring in your soul, let it be this, that all of the shame, all of the pain, brokenness and torture that Jesus suffered at his crucifixion and on the cross were for you. It was all for you because he loves you. And I'm not talking about the you that you pretend to be sometimes. I'm not talking about the face that you put on tonight. I'm talking about the real you, the one on the screen the one who actively refuses God every single day and pays him no mind. That is the exact you that Jesus went to the cross to die for. Romans 5, 8 puts it so well when it said, God proves his own love for us that while we were still sinners, hear that while you were still sinning, Christ died for you. We know what we would do if we maybe saw the secrets, 
We'd be tempted to run, but I'm telling you, Jesus does not run away from you. He runs toward you. Our sin needed punished. And at the cross, our savior was punished for us. I'm telling you guys, no matter how hard you look, you will not find a picture of love more awful and more wonderful than this. You have to look at the cross and see that you are loved. I still remember so vividly one night after Salt Company when I was like a senior or something. There was this, this freshman there with me. A freshman who had it all, man. He was religious, impressive. Did the whole church thing pretty well. But he wasn't too religious. He also knew how to have a good time. He was able to kind of live in both worlds. He had his party life on one side and his church life on the other. To where the religious people might be fooled and say, you're doing a great job. And the people he party with on the weekends would have no idea that he ever set foot at church in his life. He was playing both sides of the fence very well. And it wasn't until this one night assault, hearing about this exact cross that changed his life forever. And I remember he turned to me with tears in his eyes and he said these words. He said, I can't believe God sent his son to the cross for me. I can't believe God sent his son to the cross for me. It was that night at this cross that my friend learned that his days of earning love and approval through religious performance were over. It was this night at the cross that my friend found a father so inviting and so proud of him that he could not live for sinful pleasures anymore. And I'm telling you, this story happens over and over and over and over again. You just need to look at the cross. Guys, I know there's a lot of people here tonight. I know there's also a lot of people here tonight who look at the cross and hear the word of the cross and say, that is stupidity. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says that you feel that way because you are perishing. And that's one way of saying that you are separated from God and you will be forever. But it also says that at the cross, there is enough power and there is more than enough love for you to be saved. And so the invitation tonight could not be more clear, guys. If you are perishing in your sin, turn to Jesus right now and be saved. Turn to Jesus and be saved. Accept not only the forgiveness of sins that we are all guilty of, but all of the righteousness, all of the goodness that he earned for you. Open your hands and receive it. If you want to know what God thinks about you, just look at the cross. The cross where God can look at you. You. Nobody else here, just you I'm talking to. You. He looks at you and says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Welcome home. And I know you don't deserve that. And I know I don't deserve that. But at the cross, we find the greatest exchange ever. And I'll gladly bank my life on that. And to the Christians out there, to people who come in here following Jesus already, I want to warn you. I want to encourage you away from just thinking this, man, I am really glad he preached that tonight. I know somebody who really needed to hear that. 
the person who needs this message more than anybody is me. There's nobody who needs the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ more than a Christian. Because my temptation is to measure up, how am I doing at this stuff? Connection group leaders, maybe your temptation, how am I doing at being a leader in this college ministry? Maybe it's all been about how many rules can you keep and not keep? How are you doing? What you need to hear tonight is the same as everybody else. Well done, good and faithful servant. Welcome home. The foot of the cross, the ground at the foot of the cross is completely level. And that is why we worship tonight. That's why we are a community that does life together, bound around this old, ancient, wooded, rugged cross. Because there that each and every one of us find grace and life with Jesus forever. If you want to know what God thinks about you, just look at the cross. Let me pray. Jesus, I'm reading a verse like this in 1 Corinthians and I just want to confess that I don't always believe it. I want to follow you, Jesus, but I want to do it on my own terms. I want to get as much out of this world as I possibly can. I want to live in both worlds. But God, the cross tonight, by your mercy and your grace, tells me that that is not an option. I'm so thankful for that, Lord. I'm so thankful for your mercy tonight, meeting every single person, including me on the stage, where we are at tonight, and warmly inviting us back in, maybe for the first time ever, to a relationship with you, and maybe for the millionth time, and either way, we come, arms wide open, saying, yes, Lord, please and thank you. God, the power of sin and death is real. And it would want us to see the cross as foolishness for the rest of our lives until it's too late. But Lord, have mercy on us and open our eyes tonight. In power, would you move tonight, Jesus? Would you move and open our eyes? Would you melt our hearts? Would we be able to see that when we look at the cross, we are loved and there's nothing we can do about that? And so Lord, would our final songs tonight, would even our starting this semester, following you together, would it be a sweet, sweet song to your ears? Would it be holy and acceptable worship? And God, would the cross be more beautiful to us tonight than ever before? Thank you, Lord.